0: Greetings to all this morning. It's been a real blessing to be here. I um, have really appreciated the service this far. It's really a blessing, and especially Brother Pete. I, um, your message brings a beautiful balance to the one I'm going to preach because it uh, seemed almost like mine might have been a little lopsided, and I really appreciate what you brought out. So. uh, what I say, you can kind of balance that off with what Pete said, and I think it'll come out good. <laughs> <clears throat> this morning, the title of the message is Passing the Baton. I don't know if any of you know what a baton is. It's, they use it a lot in relay races. I actually have one here. This is the official size of the baton that they use, this is actually a homemade one, but it's almost exactly the same size as what the Olympics use in their relay races. And especially in the, in the final races, like in the World Cup races, the four by 400, which is basically a 400 meter race, and there's four people on your team and as you as you run the race and when when you get the first lap done and you get into the what they call the exchange zone, I think I'll just draw that on the board here to kind of emphasize the uh, the 400 meter track is quite long and then there's an area where is called the exchange rate uh, exchange zone and this is usually 20 meters and the track is 400 meters being a little over a yard so you have like a 20 yard area that you can give this baton to the guy the next guy on your team that is coming behind you and what what happens is If you drop the baton, if you drop this, or you fumble it, you disqualify your team from the race. There's four people in the race, and you can have the fastest runners in the world, but if they can't give this to the guy behind them, and he can get it and take off running without stumbling, without dropping it, then you disqualify the race. And they have a 20-yard area right here as they're running through. Where And what, what a lot of them do, well, the next guy in the relay is in a strategic place, and that perfect timing, he takes off running the same speed as the guy that's coming in at the end of his lap. And he will take the baton, and he passes it back. Or no he reaches back for it. He's in front of the other guy, he reaches back, and the other guy gives him the baton, and they can do it if with lots of practice, thousands and thousands of practices. They can do that flawlessly without ever missing a millisecond of speed. And then the next guy takes off after the first runner passes off the baton, He slows down and goes out of the race. And the next guy takes off, and they do that four times. And if your team is successful in passing on the baton and not losing any time and also being a good runner, then you win the game or you win the race. Like in London in in July was the, the World Cup race. And there were like seven countries represented there. There were seven tracks going around. And the United States had a team on that race. And the United States team won the race in London. I don't know if that's a big thing or not. It kind of is. I think it's kind of neat. The United States also won the uh, the finals on the on the ladies relay race. And so... Apparently, the United States has some good runners. Maybe they're just diligent in practicing. But I think one thing that also is the coordination in passing on the baton. If you drop, if the third person drops it, he disqualifies all the others on his team and they're out of the race. The other thing is, is this baton, they cannot pass it anywhere else. It has to be passed in this 20-meter section. And if they're an inch outside of the 20-meter section when that baton is passed over, he's disqualified. If they pass it over a foot before they get into that they're disqualified also what happens in many many of the races when the two two uh, the two people on the team they're in this exchange zone and the one slows down the the one that's coming in slows down too quick the other one takes off too fast and then They're apart. They can't can't connect. So there has to be perfect unison in the exchange zone. They need to both be going exactly the same speed because they want to pass this thing on really quick and not miss. And they can't drop it. Another thing you won't see them in the race is they won't take this thing and be beating on each other. This baton is a symbol that they are in the race and that and usually each country, theirs is a different color. I think like the United States was green or blue or whatever. A lot of them are red and whatever. But you only give the baton to those that are on your team. The United States didn't give theirs to the to the the runner from France or Africa. He gave it to another team member and only to another team member. They also, they have a special way of carrying this thing. When you're running in the race, they don't grab it with both hands. They hold it with three fingers so that they can easily let it loose, but it's still, they're in full control of the baton. And when they pass this over they can let it go but they don't let it go too quick and they it's all a it's all a game but it all has purpose. And I'm bringing these things in here because there's so much there's so much in this in this race that we can take examples out of that I think is good for our life today. <clears throat> If someone that is running the race he finishes the first lap he th- he thinks that you know I have lots of energy left I'm going to run another lap and so he don't he he's not going to give off the baton he's going to he wants to carry it it's his he's the he's the runner he wants to be the one that wins the race you know what'll happen they'll lose number 1 they're disqualified because they didn't follow the rules number 2 is He will, on his second lap, even though he feels like he still has lots of energy, he is running against a fresh runner that has had his rest, his nutrition, his exercise, and he's powerful, and he's going to go, and he's going to win. He runs to win. And if you don't, at your strategic time, pass off the baton and give it to the next one in the race you're gonna run out of energy before you finish that lap and ultimately your team will lose. So I think it's important. It's important that the baton is passed at the right time to the right people. But it is imperative. It is absolutely imperative, brothers and sisters, that at certain points in our life and certain issues and certain times that we're willing and able and skillful to pass the baton and let somebody else help in the race. Let's say the 400-meter race represents your 50 years of your adult life. That's from the time that you're 20 years old to your 70 or from 15 to 65. But just for sake of illustration here, this 400-meter racetrack represents 50 years of your life. The 20-meter exchange rate, or the 20-meter exchange zone would account for about two and a half years of your life. Some people come to the exchange zone in their race and they're not sure how to pass off the baton. Some slow down too quick or let go too soon or some fumble the baton. Some drop it. Some toss it aside. Some use it to beat on their other fellow racers. And some just see no value in passing it on to the next generation. If you come to that point in your life... And there is nothing in your life that is worth passing on. Then I have a question for you. Why did you spend your life doing something that is not worth passing on to the next generation? Why did you give your your 400 meters of your life for something that is not worth passing on? Obviously, some of us might get stuck in a career that we don't like and we don't think it's worth anything and, and times do change. There's things that, that are no longer valid that were 50 years ago. There may be a trade that you learned from your dad and today it's no longer a necessary trade. I mean, those are things that are, those are things that we have to deal with. And we realize that our life is but a vapor and it is soon gone. But I think if we give some thought and some prayer to the idea of passing on the baton to those coming up behind us, it can and should be a lot easier and more meaningful. One thing that we have to understand too is that Every illustration kind of breaks down somewhere along the way, and sometimes it don't all fit. In our life, you you can can, um, say the baton is the gospel, and you want to give that to the next runner in the race, and that doesn't mean that you no longer have the gospel. And so it doesn't exactly qualify for that. But we do have to understand that we do grow older. And responsibilities need to be passed on to those coming up behind us. Those that are in the race with us. There's a few points I think that we need to consider as we come to this exchange rate or this exchange zone. I keep saying rate. It's the exchange zone in our life. And that is to understand that the race isn't over when you finish your lap around the track. The world doesn't end because you turn 90 years old. The world doesn't end just because you die and go to your reward. The world goes on until the end of time. There will be a time when the world won't go on, but for, for now, the world is going on. There will be a tomorrow. And what you do with life, And what you do with the things that you hold in your hand do matter. You know, I'm 56 years old and I can remember, I can easily remember my great grandfather. Vaguely, I mean, but I have a few memories of my great grandfather. And I see my grandchildren. And so we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six generations that I can see in my lifetime. That's six laps around the racetrack. See how quickly that happens? <clears throat> and it makes a difference how you pass on the values from one generation to the next and somehow i've got this burden that i think it's our inability to value the material things that we have and some of the things that, and some of the careers that we have and some of the ambitions that we have and and some of the some of the responsibilities that we have we value those so little that we spend so little time passing that baton on to the next generation and it affects the value that we see in passing spiritual values on to the next generation. If we raise a generation of children that want to conquer their own world They have no need of anyone telling them how to do it, and they don't need any help doing it. We're raising independent people, and we need, the human race needs a a sense of independence. That is important. I'm not downplaying that. But it seems like in our day and time, every young, the younger generation, has less and less value. They are less and less need of the values that their great grandfathers had and their grandfathers or their fathers for that matter. And somehow there's something that's not gonna come out right in the long race with that scenario. And I realized that I am not where my great-grandfather was. I don't live on his farm. I don't even have the same occupation that he did. I don't even go to the same church that he did. I'm not even of the same denomination that he was. the same for my grandfather and my father. There was a brother one time that he said one of the the most spiritual things that he can think of for a young man is to plow the fields of his grandfather. And I'm like now that's real carnal. I just didn't think that was right. When I heard that preacher say that. And I'm not sure I'm sure he had a qualifier in there. But there brothers and sisters, there is something very spiritual about taking advice from your parents and your grandparents. Our life is but a vapor. And it is soon gone. And we don't all have time to reinvent the wheel. We don't all have time to make all of the mistakes and learn all the lessons that life has to give. So I think it is imperative that we're willing to reach back and get that baton from those that are that are that are in the race and there's and I think there, it would be important that we would look at these things in an objective way and say, you know what? I'm soon gone and I'm gonna I need to pass something on to this next generation. <clears throat> A farmer It's probably one of the most vivid examples of that. You spend your life in, in acquiring a farm and and you cultivate the land and you plow the fields, or you no longer plow the fields, but you you plant the crops and you harvest them. And, Brother Darrell, the day will come when, when that farm will not be yours. You won't be able to get out there and get into the tractor and, and keep going and it's imperative that that one day you make preparations and i'm sure you already have uh, to think forward and say you know one day one of my sons or or a grand, or a grandson or a son-in-law or somebody is going to run this farm and i'm not going to be the one that runs it anymore and as you come to that exchange zone in your life and you And you pass that baton over to the next young man. And there are a few things that is very important to you that you train this new young would-be farmer that's going to run your acreage and run your combine and run your tractor and plant your seeds and harvest your crop. You know, you would not want the young man to come in and he say, okay, you know why? I did a little research and I think it would be good we'd plant the corn in November so that we'd get a jump on the crop for next year. Well, that's a non negotiative. Well, you don't plant corn in November. Right? And it would be so, you would not let the young man come along and, and his whole next year's crop depends on him having that knowledge of when to plant the seed. You would make sure that this guy that that is taking over your farm, that is reaching out for the baton and you have given it to him, but somehow there's got to be some non-negotiables passed on with this baton, you know, when to plant the corn, how to spray, what to do, how much fertilizer to use. There's a thousand and one things that go along with passing on the family farm to the next generation. And I think we can see that. We can, we can understand that. <clears throat> But we have to understand, I think we understand that the race isn't over yet. Even though our lap is over and we pass off the baton, the race goes on. And will till the end of time, till the Lord returns. The farm that you now farm, one day was your dad's farm, one day was somebody else's farm, one day was somebody else's else's farm, then way on back. And the land still has value, and the land still is productive, and the land is still there. And, and the fields are not growing up with cockleburs and trees because you just neglected them. Because someone passed on how to be a farmer along with passing on the farm. <clears throat> Another thing that I think is important as we pass on the baton, no matter if you're a farmer, if you're a cabinet maker, or you're a carpenter, or you're a cheesemaker, or you make candles, but if you're an adult, you're married, and you have a family, you need to have a will. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands here this morning, but. If you do not have a will, you need to go home and make a will. You don't have, you can, if you don't know how to make a will, you can go to Brenneman's down in Kelowna for $300. He'll make your will. He'll tell you what to say and what not to say, and he'll write it up, and he'll charge you $350, but he'll have a will. If you say you don't have three hundred and fifty dollars, go to LegalZoom.com and download your own will, and it'll give you uh, the, it'll give you the worksheets of how to do it, and it's not that hard. We spent over fifty years of my life and over thirty years of our married life without a will. <coughs> Till I heard Dave Ramsey say, that's not only stupid, it's selfish. And I've thought, like, you know what? That is true. You need a will. Because our life is but a vapor. And you think that you may have the time to train that next generation to pass them the baton. I may not have time to pass this. I may be gone in a moment. But a will is nothing more than a legal document that says that this is what I want to do with this, and this is who gets this, and this is what happens with this, and this is what happens with this when I die. And what makes it a legal document is that it is dated, it is signed, and it is notarized. You go to Brenneman's, he will do that. He'll download a form, probably has it on his computer. He will fill in the blanks. He will get you to sign it. He will notarize it. And you take it home, put it in your safe. But make a will. Please make a will. So that those coming along behind you, if you, maybe you all, maybe I was the last one on the block that didn't have a will. But if you all don't have a will, please go home and think about that. Sit down with your wife or husband and talk it over and say this is what we want and this is how we're going to pass it off to Johnny and Junior and this is what we want them to do with what we leave behind when we die. Make a will. Think about the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. God has invested a tremendous amount and consider how valuable those things are to the human race and especially to those of the next generation. There's not a person here, there's not an adult person here that does not have a gift, a value, or something that is worth handing over to someone else. There's no one here that does not have that gift. And it's a gift from God. And you will do the human race a tremendous benefit that if you help someone else or you pass that on or you teach someone else or you show someone else or you help someone else acquire that gift too. That's God's plan. That's how, that's how the world operates. And I think we need to be thankful for those gifts that God has invested in the body. And we need to be careful how that we don't just cast them aside. And We pass them on. What if you one day, all of a sudden, we had nothing? Everything was lost and you had to start over from ground zero today. You would have no ink pen, you would have no lead pencil, you would have no calculator, you would have no car, you would have no microwave. Do you know how to make a lead pencil? We would, we, would, we would basically revert back to taking charged sticks to write on, on pieces of something. We'd have no paper because we, we don't know. I don't know how to make paper. See what I'm saying, the gifts that God has invested in the human race are not to be hoarded, cast aside, but they are to be shared and passed around. It's a tremendous blessing that you have clothes to wear and you have Bibles to read because there is paper with printed ink. It's not something that you and I discovered. It's just something that we have. And it's something that someone passed on to the human race and now we have this gift. How many gifts do we have that is valuable to the human race and we just kind of, that's no big deal. It's not really that big of a thing. Nobody really cares about that. But it is important because it is a gift from God. And I think God intends us to share those things and to pass them on generation to generation <clears throat> down through the years all the way back to the, uh, to the time of Babylon and even before the fathers were always very concerned that the next generation had a trade and they had a house to live in and that they had they had a craft they had a they were some they knew how to do something. And the, the term of apprenticeship. The apprentices were a big thing in the way back in history gone by, even in the eighteen hundreds and the nineteen hundreds, apprentices were were of great value, and that is how that the human race passed trade on from generation to generation and not always even from father to son it might have been from from brother to brother or even from a father to another man's son and as late as up into the early 1900s even apprentices most of them most young men were were expected to sign up for some kind of an apprenticeship by the age of 12 to 14 they were they would go and and sign on with someone else to learn a craft or a trade like leather making or or masonry or or copper smithing or woodworking or farming or cheese making or leather making or whatever. But the young men would sign on maybe for four to eight years and their pay was room and board and and, uh, sufficient clothing. Even Benjamin Franklin signed on as, a, as an apprentice with his brother for eight years to learn how to be a printer. And I think he um, was supposed to get 40 shillings at the end of it and, a, and a, new soda, a new suit of clothes. Somehow, four months shy of his eight years, he uh, finally had it with his brother. He said his brother beat on him or something and he quit. So the apprentice thing it has not always been successful. But it has been a way to pass on values and, and skills and trades from one generation to the next. <clears throat> but most of those apprenticeships lasted for eight, some of them as high as 12 years. Depending on what you were you were going to be. In 1934, 1933, there was a there, the United States signed a an agreement to regulate more of the apprenticeships, and it's called the Gerald Act or the National Something Apprentice Act. It went into into um, into law in 1934 that. The government would more oversee the apprenticeships and make sure that the young apprentice got paid right and was treated fairly because as any good thing, as time goes on, it can become a bad thing and the people were taking, a, grossly taking advantage of young men and young ladies because they needed an apprenticeship. And so they would take them as called another form of slavery actually at one time. But in 1934, all that changed, <clears throat> especially in the United States, and it became more of a, of a vocational school type thing where the apprentice was actually paid a wage. He would find his own room and board, and he, was, he would be taught a trade, and that is still going today. In fact, uh, last week on the 14th was the beginning of National Apprenticeship Day in America, and there's over 1,067, I think, of places across the nation that have, that are setting up, it's kind of an apprenticeship show or whatever, where where, um, employers can go there and set up a booth and say, this is what I have to offer, and this is what we teach, and this is what we pay, and whatever, even Iowa, Iowa I think has 46 listings, of in this apprenticeship thing. And so the, I think the the uh, apprenticeship thing is still going well. I mean, I, in many ways, in, in other countries, more so even than America, to pass on the trades and the gifts from one generation to the next. You know, and as I studied into this thing, I had to marvel at that that verse that Jesus said, you know, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And I don't think that should be said of God's people. I don't think we should allow that to be said of us. If you cannot <clears throat> if you cannot pass on a value to someone else in natural things how are you going to pass on values of deeper spiritual values <clears throat> There's a couple of illustrations that we have in the Bible that are very beautiful. And the first one that I was thinking about was Moses and Joshua there in Numbers 27 where God came to Moses and he said, you know, you're going to be gathered to your people. Your days are over. Basically, in my own words, you trespass. You back there when you hit the rock and for the water, and you're not going to be able to take the people into the, into the promised land. You're going to die. And God told him, he said, I want you to go and I want you to uh, take Joshua, the son of Nun. And appoint him as a leader to take in the people. And so Joshua became the next leader of the children of Israel. And in between these two these two accounts where Moses was was given the word of God in in the end of numbers when he that he would die to the end or to the book of Joshua or the end of the book of Deuteronomy the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses in the exchange zone and he is teaching he's teaching about this feast, and he's teaching about that feast, and he's teaching about this principle. The non-negotiables that he was passing on to Joshua and the people. The whole book of Deuteronomy was the exchange zone. In the end of Deuteronomy, it comes down to to the showdown, and he hands it over to Joshua. And Moses dies. Can you imagine... It might have been a relief to Moses, but you know what? I bet his heart was just right there, and he was just like, will this young man be able to do this? Will this young man be able to hold up under the pressure? Will he be able to take them into the promised land? Will he make it? And he spends the whole book of Deuteronomy teaching line upon line the non-negotiables, the things that cannot change, If you're going to take the children of Israel into the promised land. It's a beautiful picture. Read that sometime. It's just a, it's a, I think God knew this all before the Olympics ever did. And also we have the account of Elijah and Elisha. Where Elisha, Elijah knew that his days were, his days were over here on earth. And he was going home. And Elisha came along, and, and he, somehow he knew that he was going to be the next prophet there. And, and you, know, you know the story how Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and he got it. You know why he got it? Because he wouldn't leave Elijah's side. He, Elijah said, Well, I've got to go down to Jordan. You stay here, and I'll, I got to go to Jordan. No, I'm going with you. They get to Jordan, he said. I got to go to I, I got to go to Jericho. You stay here. No, Elijah said. I will not leave you. And he said, Well, I got to go over here. And Elijah said, I won't leave you. I will not leave you. And then Elijah finally asked him, said, What can I do for you? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And he said, Well, if you see me when I go, you'll get it. If you, if you drop the baton, you won't get it. You keep your eyes open, keep your hands steady, and you'll get it. If you go to sleep, you go doodling in the, in the you go fishing in the lake, lake over there, you won't get it. But if you, if you keep, keep your eyes on me when I go, you'll get it. And he got it. And it was a beautiful thing. Another illustration is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I think I'll turn to that, and here Paul is, has a letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young man, and in verse 2 he says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I think we all know that Timothy wasn't Paul's biological son. <clears throat> but he was his apprentice. And Paul knew that Paul knew that he would soon be gone. He knew that his life was but a vapor and he was a wanted man and he knew that his time here on earth was probably not going to be much longer and he writes this letter to this young man that he took upon him he said i'm going to give the, i'm going to i'm going to hand this baton over to Timothy i'm going to give it to him and he's going to carry on while i'm gone and if you go over to 2 Timothy 2 Timothy starts out like that <clears throat> Chapter 2 says, Thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's, he's calling him his son and he's training him. And by the time 2 Timothy comes around, by the time Paul writes this, he's in prison. And I don't think he expected to get out alive. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And it's beautiful how he was able to pass on That baton to Timothy and how Timothy took it and ran with it and was faithful and didn't drop it. We realize that material possessions are also very fleeting. But I believe they're a gift from God and somehow we need to be careful how that we handle these things. And we need to be careful that we don't just squander them and throw them away. And somehow, somehow, I'm convinced in my mind that there's a connection between how careful we are with the things that the, the the material things that God invests in our hands and how we handle those things and how that we are able to somehow pass them on to the next generation. There's a connection between that and our ability to pass on spiritual values and spiritual enthusiasm and spiritual direction just like the the athletic World Cup racers over in London. Those things didn't just happen. They trained for those things. They trained diligently for those things long before they got to London. These racers that went to London for the the World Cup race in July of 2018, those were probably men that had won race after race here in America and had raced hundreds of times. And they knew the rules and they knew the plan, and they were diligent in exercising themselves in this craft, so to speak, that they were able to come home to America with the with the World Cup. <clears throat> And would to God that we had that kind of a diligence when we're running the spiritual race and we're passing the baton on to the next generation that we would know how fast to run in the exchange zone we know when to let loose and we know when to hold tight and we know when to, when to let go that we don't let go too soon and we don't hang on too long, that it hinders the race. We realize that as we pass the baton on to the next generation, even with the family farm, Brother Darrell, there's probably things that you do a little different than what your dad did. And if you, the day comes and one of your sons or somebody else takes over the farm, there's things that are going to change. But there's also non-negotiables that can't change or the farm will not be there. And we need to figure those things out. We need to figure out what, is, what can change and what can't change the same way in our families, in our church. As we pass on the baton from generation to generation, there's things that we want to come to the end of the race that we still have. There's things that we don't want to drop as we have run this race. And there are other things that, that may need to change. Just I mean, just as an illustration, there's I'm sure that you use way more no-till than what your grandfather would have ever thought about using. Our grandfathers would have if they if they couldn't plow the field and turn that soil over, they just didn't think it would produce. Do you even own a plow today? You don't use it on your land. You know what I'm saying? There's things that change. There's things that have to change sometimes. But there's other things that cannot change. And as we pass that baton on, it takes a lot of diligence and training and forethought. But pass it, we must. Pass it on is imperative. It's never easy to let go it's never easy to turn something over to someone else and you say will he make it will he run with it there was a situation where I had um been involved in a ministry there in, in Tennessee and the time came when we needed to pass on and it was hard it was hard to say here brothers take it it's yours run with it but there were a few things that I, la- I sat down with those brothers and I said these are two things that won't change I don't want you to change and these are values that I want to pass on to you and these are things that I want you to remember that this ministry will not have debt. I don't want you to ever go borrow $100,000 for this ministry. This ministry has to stay debt free. And There were two or three other things. And we were up there this, this other here about a month ago and I sat down with those brothers and those things are still there. And the ministry is running. And they've taken it farther than what I could have ever taken it. And it was imperative that I pass that on to someone else. And it was imperative that, that I, I let go and they took a hold. Was it easy? No, it was terribly hard. But it was imperative. It was good for the ministry. Do they do everything the way I wanted them to do? Do they do things different than what I did it? Sure they do. And there's things that somehow I don't understand. But they do. And I gave it to their hand. And they're running with it. Somehow we need to find the grace to know how to do those things. And I don't say that to say that I've got it all figured out. I don't. There's very few of those batons that I caught from my dad. I dropped them, many of them. but Somehow I, I have a burden that we learn how to pass it on how to pass it on without dropping it so that we can somehow win the race.